The following lecture was delivered at the 16th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Miami, Florida, a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it. We encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Mrs. Roos Devora Wallen now presents her lecture, The Power of Positivity for Wellness, Thinking and Feeling Better in Seven Torah Steps. First and foremost, thank you so much for joining today. I know it's not easy to wake up early after either travel or whatever you've gone through to get here. Thank you very much for joining. I feel honored. And my talk today is called The Power of Positivity. And we are, we are going to learn some really fun things today. It's going to be practical. It's going to be scientific. It's going to be real. And it's going to be Torahic. So the power of positivity for wellness, thinking and feeling better in seven Torah steps. So we know the world has taught about positivity, and we hear about positive psychology everywhere. But the Torah knew it all along. This is me. I'm not going to read my slides. I'll describe them. This talk is actually a five-hour talk, but they're giving me 50 minutes for it. So what I'm going to do is whip through, and you've got all of the slides in your booklet. So don't worry yourself and take pictures, and if you want another one, I'll email it to you. Just enjoy and relax and get into it. So the power of positivity for wellness requires a couple self-understood facts. First of all, wellness is not a, a one and done. Wellness needs to be attained through many different areas. So we've got to first work with the body, the brain and mind, and the neshama, the soul. So what is our mission? What is our mission? It's to heal the body, to strengthen the brain and mind, and to soothe the soul. Okay, and I'll explain a little bit more about that. Now, positive psychology was an out, outbirth from coming after people like Carl Rogers, Abraham Maslow. So Abraham Maslow talked about positivity in the sense that we have a hierarchy of needs. If the lower needs are not met, you really can't get higher. You can't. And I explained this to a client the other day. I'm a psychotherapist who was saying, you know, I'm really sick and I feel really bad and I feel blah, 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 and I didn't sleep. And I wonder why my thoughts are going Lulu. You shouldn't wonder. Go to sleep. So what he talked about is this hierarchy starting with the very basic needs, physiological needs, sleep and eat and shelter. Right? And then it moves up till the top pinnacle is self-actualization, living a really healthy, charmed life. Now, today we've got our millennials. They have totally different needs. Their, <laughs> millennials needs the battery. That battery power is the main <laughs> need that they've got. Just a joke. So there is a Torah humanistic psychology. Positive psychology started in the Torah, and I'll show you examples. And today what I'm going to do is show you the Torah precedent for positive psychology, 
and then what they figured out in the 20th century and now in the 21st century. So the Talmud tells us that we are great. God made us great, so you have to behave like you're great. You need dignity. So that's the Torah angle. Well, Martin Seligman, who's really the father of positive psychology, realized that we were focusing on illness, that we were focusing on people's lacks, not what they have and what we can strengthen. So he said, it's about bringing out the best in people. That's positive psychology. Well, the Hasidic Rebbe, Rabbi Aaron of Karlin, knew that before that. If a person doesn't consider himself an important person, he will not free himself from his negative traits. Okay, and you can just read. I'm going to keep hopping through, but here's the research about positive psychology, and it's on and on. I only got a couple of them. It keeps going on, and there's the research from Sonia Lubomorsky, who is the specialist in happiness, and she wrote this book, The How of Happiness, and her research is copious. From the early 2000s until presently, she wrote tons about these positive qualities. So what's fascinating, and you'll learn later if you're going to join Dr. Andrew Newberg, is that belief, your beliefs, your belief system, your values, as well as your spiritual beliefs impact your wellness. And there's science on the bottom. There's research there showing you. So each system throughout history has these similar ideas. It's not like Abraham Maslow and Martin Seligman figured it out for the whole world. It's these existed. And if you had a traditional culture, it had these qualities. And every bona fide religion has these qualities but the Torah preceded them all. Here's Pirkei Avos showing you many of the qualities. I put them in red. Loving kindness and compassion, etc. The 48 paths to wisdom. Well, it kind of reminds us of the importance of positive psychology from way, way back. So here, the Rebbe's writing a letter to somebody who is negative and down and a little depressed and despondent. And the Rebbe quotes the Zohar that says, if you smile down here, they smile back from up there. And there's a ping-ponging effect. And so the Rebbe, in the blue there, in his words, says, in this vein, it, as it's stated, serve God with happiness. So that's a mitzvah. Ivdu es Hashem besimcha. Serve God with joy. So he's telling him, go ahead, do it quickly, so you can get the vibes from above. So Seligman and his partner, Chris Peterson, came up with these seven values that give meaning to life and give you a more flourishing, happy life. Courage, humility, transcendence, temperance, justice, and wisdom. And he has this PERMA theory with these various areas of well-being that you insert those concepts into. And then they broke it down to 24 categories like Pirkei Elvos has 48. If you kept you know, extrapolating, you could get more and more. And they have things like loving kindness and compassion and all those things that we know originated in the Torah. 
And you see, there are tons and tons of materials now about flourishing and optimism and happiness, etc. It, it, it doesn't stop. It keeps coming out. I keep buying these books. So I decided that I'm going to find my own steps. These are my steps to positivity. These are Torah-based steps. And today, if I can get through as many, and you'll see, I'm going to flip through some. You've got it in front of you. You know how to read, I imagine. If you got here, you could read white and gold, number two. OK, so my concepts are acceptance and equanimity, letting go, chilling out, trusting. Compassion for self and others. You need to take care of yourself, right? I say to a lot of my female clients, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? To be able to take care of others, and we're going to see the Torah precedent for that, you need to take care of yourself. And then you can easily take care of others. Experiencing the here and now, so being in the moment, being present, being mindful, maybe even breathing slowly so you can be more present. Staying the course, persevering, keeping going. Gratitude and a positive attitude. Other-centeredness, thinking about the other people, altruism. And then finally, our divine essence. So that became access good, or access God. And this is how I set it up. And you could see all of those other things that I described kind of flow from each of those letters. In Hebrew, we call that Roche Tevos. In English, they call it acronym. So I made a little acronym, access God, or access good, through these things. So let's start with the access, the acceptance part. So acceptance is about letting go, sometimes giving in, trusting that everything is working out correctly. So these are the various areas, contentment, serenity, equanimity, trusting, letting go, etc. And we see from Shlomo Ibn Gabriel, he said, contentment of mind surpasses riches. Don't we know that? How many people win the lottery, right? And, and, and they're not happy. How many people become famous and rich? They're not necessarily happy. They're, they're divorcing, getting on drugs, having weird relationships, changing their bodies in strange ways. You know what? You need to have contentment of mind. And Pirkei said, who is rich? The one who's happy with his lot. I had a guest at my house often. He would say, yeah, and if I had a lot, I'd be happy too. Okay, this is Shlomo HaMelech, this is from the Bible, from Tanakh. And then the serenity prayer, which is more current, from Alcoholics Anonymous. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? And when we fight against something that we cannot change, we can become quite miserable. That's not positive psychology. And Carl Rogers, who was like, the ultimate humanistic psychologist said, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. So if you can let go, stop fighting with yourself, sometimes we get in our own way, then we can change. The Baal Shem Tov. See, we're talking historically throughout Jewish history, Torah psychology, positive psychology exists. So the person who let go and was in a scary situation celebrated the positive outcome in advance. So by celebrating that God will come to your rescue, you've already provided the remedy. 
And the Rebbe, who's got the greatest sense of humor, is God really in need of your worry, or will he succeed in finding good solutions even without your worrying? So let's get practical. In each one of these segments, we're going to talk about what can you do to enhance your positive wellness, your upbeatness, your positivity. So the first one in this realm is bitachon, trusting that God has your back. He's behind you in all of this. So there are these wonderful books. One's called Sha'ar HaBitachon that recently came out in English. The Gates of Trust, it's from a famous book called Duties of the Heart, Chavos Halavavos by Ibn Pekuda. And the other one I send to all my clients, by the way, uh, everything I'm talking about is in your gift pack, even the presentation. And at the end, there's a link. And I made a little tiny URL link, so you should be able to type it in. It's not 500 letters long at the very end of the presentation. So everything I mention, you don't need to email me for or ask me about. It's in your gift pack. If you know anything about clicking on a link or typing in a link and opening the thing up, everything is there. So you've got this book, In Good Hands, which is 100 letters of the Lubavitcher Rebbe about trust. And my prescription to my clients, literally, for the three-legged stool of calming the person, not positivity and strengthening, but to relax the person, is every night before bed, you calm and soothe your neshama, your soul, by reading something about bitachon before bedtime. I say it gives you a calm balm for the soul. Okay, now we're on to the first C, which is compassion, but the second C is compassion for self and others. Okay, so we need to tune in to the other person. So I call this C squared. That's how you get two C's for compassion. Compassion to yourself, compassion to others, means equals complete compassion. The Magid's son, Magid spoke to his son, Reb Avraham, and said, a kleiner lochen kerper is a groise lochen neshama. A little hole in the body is a big hole in the soul. So I translated, small physiological deficiency is a great deficiency in the soul. So people like, you know, Charlie Chaplin knew better. The sun, the, the taking care of yourself is good for you. That's compassion for self. Okay, so now I'm going to show you, I have a wheel of well-being, and it's supposed to start. Hmm. So my wheel of well-being is a lifestyle wellness concept. And if you go around the circle, you'll see the various areas. So it's movement and your mind and your environment, et cetera, stress reduction. All of these areas, if we can enhance and tweak up, we can feel better and better. And so in the 20th, 20th and 21st century, Nobody has time or patience. Everybody's overwhelmed and speedy, and the digital distractions are overwhelming. And they say, I don't have time to do that. I can't sit and meditate. I can't relax. I can't. OK, so I made a thing called micro self-care. Not Microsoft, don't worry. Micro self-care means little, itty-bitty things that you do for yourself throughout the day. And they can be under five minutes long. OK, really short. And I made an ABCs. Say that again. Everything is in your gift pack. 
and I can say that a few times. It's all in your gift pack. So this is a current statement. Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live, right? Especially in the last couple of years, can't we appreciate the wellness of our body? What is out is out, but guess what? It's in your gift pack. And I can give the, show you the link at the very end. So there are studies in compassion and self-compassion. They figured it out now in the, in the 20th and 21st century. They figured out it's nice to be compassionate. Isn't that nice? But the Torah knew it all along. So when we're not taking care of ourselves, these kind of things happen. We have stress reactions and all sorts of things occur because of the stress response. Okay, I'm not gonna read to you guys. So I call that the past and future tense. Because when we dwell on the past, <laughs> we dwell on the future, we're tense. Now, what has caused some of this stress and anxiety is the digital distractions. I call it weapons of mass distraction. And those things really take us off of our work, take us you know, into the interstellar galactics of, of thoughts. You'll learn about that in a few minutes. But we get to my machshava merry-go-round, the merry-go-round of the mind. So what happens? These things just grab us. They've, they intentionally put the science into these things to attract us. Yes, I want to click. Yes, I, yes, I want to like. I want to get engaged. And it grabs us. So my mentor, who is actually one of the writers with Dr. Andrew Newberg, Mark Waldman, created this simple protocol to be able to calm down your mind and your brain. So it's a mindful yawn. What is that? A really slow, yawny, stretchy thing. You know, a mindful stretch, a self-nurturing touch. We'll, we'll see in a moment what that is. Uh, pleasant memory, a gentle smile, a deep value, and five positive thoughts. These things you can use throughout the day prophylactically, protectively. And nurturing touch, oh, they just figured it out, right? Oxytocin is produced. It's a wonderful bonding hormone. And there's lots of research about nurturing touch. It heals. Bobby Fischer, remember who Bobby Fischer was? The chess champ. Imagine that he said that nothing is as healing as the human touch. The touch can really give life. Anonymous said that. Anybody know Anonymous? He sounds Greek or something. Okay, so I work with a particular technique called the havening techniques, which includes self-nurturing touch of these three typical mammalian gestures. Hand stroking, washing, stroking down the arms like a hug, and facial, say call in Yiddish a glet a gentle swiping down the face. Mommies do that to their babies. I even see cats going up to their owners going like that. Cats are havening too. And we know that these things are good for you. You've got all the information about havening in your gift pack. Okay, so now we're on to E, experiencing. So we want to experience the here and now, stay in the present, meditation, breath work, mindful awareness. So Rabbi, Arya, uh, Rabbi Chaim Vital 
talked about the importance of relaxation to get into a meditative state to pray. So there are steps. If you want to be fully actualized and you want to be God altruistic and God conscious, he's talking Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You got to be in your body. You got to be contained and relaxed to be able to get there. And the Baal Shem Tov, he knew it too. Where your thoughts are, there's all of you. You are where your thoughts are. So Ari Kaplan talked about meditation. He basically said it's focusing on the same thing. When your mind gets distracted, come back. So what happens to that mind? I was telling you about the mind that goes on the merry-go-round, and it gets, what happens is our thoughts get distorted when we're stressed. So there's a word melech. Who can tell me what the word melech means? King. So a melech, how would you describe, just shout it out, because we don't have time to, for you to raise a hand or you to raise a hand. I got to get through another hundred slides. So, what would you say a king is like? Shout it out. Top dog. Top dog. Yeah. Regal. Regal, reigning, in charge, on top. Right? And, and, and probably, if he's a good king, he's wise. So the word melech is spelled memlamed chaf. If you spell it this way, so the Arizal, and then later on, the Maharal of Prague expounded this concept. You take the word melech, and once a person gets emotional and he's not in his wise mind anymore, he becomes a lemech. Okay? That's a fool. Okay? And then if he gets physically too involved, too passionate, too intense, then it turns into kelam, which is a disgrace. In our benching and in our davening, we say, God, please do not disgrace us ever. Okay, we shouldn't be disgraced. And what did we learn at the beginning? Since we're godly people, we can't disgrace ourselves through our behaviors. And through all the garments of the soul, which are thought, speech, and action. So the melech turns into the lemech, then the lemech turns into kelem, and then there's utter destruction. Right? Sometimes people will bang a wall, break a door, slam something, break a dish. So these worries and fears and thoughts that we have that bring us from melech to lemech to kelem, they're not real. They're figments of our imagination. And if they are real, they affect us in one way. If they're not real, they still affect us. So I'm thinking about the thing that really didn't happen or won't happen, and I'm still upset, and it affects my body and my neshama. I can't help it. So imagine I'm driving down the highway. It's 55 miles an hour speed limit, and because it's Ruth Devorah, she's probably driving 65 or 70, right? And I see in my rearview mirror flashing lights, and I think, oh, my gosh, I can't get a ticket. Oh, my gosh, my husband will be upset. Oh, my gosh, I can't get that. That's so much money. And, and instead, of, instead of putting on the brakes, I'm really smart. I just coast to slow it down. And the flashing light passes, it was a tow truck. Okay, now, meanwhile, what happened? I had the stress response, the physiologic response. My heart started pounding. I'm like, I can't get a ticket. And then my thoughts went crazy. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh my gosh, it's going to cost so much. And then my neshama went out too. It says, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? No. God, you're going to help me, is another approach. God, I'm going to get through this. And if I had gone there first, or if I had a positive thought first, or a positive intervention behaviorally, and I started breathing slower, I might have looked better in the mirror. 
and seen that it was just a tow truck. You get it? And with this three-legged stool that we mentioned at the beginning, you knock one of the legs out, it's, it's done. So if you're bitachon, your trust disappears, so then your thoughts go lulu. Once your thoughts go lulu, then your body goes. It doesn't matter where you start. So they figured this out in the 21st century. Oh, wandering mind is an unhappy mind. This is very famous research. I'm showing you where I'm getting it from PubMed. These, these are truly researched things. And so I told you about the machshav merry-go-round, the merry-go-round of the mind. Okay, so when we're not in control, our thoughts can go wild. I tell people, don't even get on the merry-go-round, because <laughs> once you're on, it starts going around, and it doesn't end until the guy presses the button. Right? And sometimes, a person's saying, but it took so long. I say, once you get on, I say, imagine you're putting your nephew on a horsey and harnessing him in, and you're getting right off. So that negative, distracting, upsetting thought comes in, and you say, no, 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 don't, don't go there. Don't even start on that. And this is a principle of the Alter Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, chapter 12 of his Tanya. My grandfather, I have to stick him in here because he was fun and funny. Worries like a rocking chair, neither gets you anywhere. Now, if Gramp were still alive, I would say, Gramp, scientifically, it's not exactly accurate because worry does get you somewhere, not in a good place. And scientifically, that's true. So there are benefits to meditation, which is one of the things that is really good to calm the mind. Okay, I'm, again, I'm not going to read. It's here. It's in your thing. It's in the gift pack. So as you practice these meditative practices in the world, they call it mindfulness practice, Look at the science. It boosts the immune function in cancer patients, stimulates genes for flu antibodies, anti-inflammatory. It turns on health-enhancing genes. Okay? So what did William James, he was another one of those very wonderful, positive, humanistic psychologists. He said the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. So the meditative motion of the mind is like this fisherman, fisher person. Actually, could be, you know, a little bit of whatever, you know? <laughs> so the thoughts go out to sea, right? And then he or she, she, he, reels it back in, okay? They, they reel it back in. This is really hard because my mother taught me grammar when I was growing up. Okay, so you see the thought goes out, you reel it back in. So Dan Siegel, who's one of the most preeminent leaders in mindfulness world and neuroscience, said, meditation is the most important skill for achieving happiness. Now, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was way ahead of all of these people in all of the science. In 1979, the Rebbe told doctors and the world, actually in a public sicha, a public talk, after he got frustrated with individuals and other groups, that this matter is necessary. By the time he got frustrated, he said, you might not listen to me. You may not listen, and nobody did for 40 years. A colleague of mine put out a, a recording album that was under supervision, and I put one out as well under the rabbinic supervision of Rav Yoram Ullman from Sydney, Australia. 
Some of that stuff is in your gift pack, okay? So the Rebbe requested it, and he says there's certain things that are stressful for us, and we need to come up with a method to calm ourselves down from the tumult of life. So my rabbi and I went through the sikh of the talk and extracted 11 points. They're right there. The Rebbe was concerned about the idolatrous elements in Eastern meditation. So you've heard about mindfulness. So the word mindfulness can be contrasted like Ellen Langer, one of the most famous psychologists and researchers at Harvard, had a book written in the 70s called Mindfulness, but she wasn't really talking Buddhist. She was talking the opposite of mindlessness. Mindlessness, being flaky, spaced out, not in the present moment, not in the here and now. So the Rebbe wanted a neutral format that didn't have the Eastern elements. I generally don't even use the word mindfulness because I've been advised not to, because that really is a buzzword, not just for meditating and not just for not being mindless, but it also comes with a lot of stuff. I took MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. I took MBCT, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Uh, my friend and I took a course together in, in uh, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy and mindfulness in it. They can't help but bring religious ideas in, even if it's scientific. There's either going to be something Christian, but mostly Buddhist, and sometimes even Hindu. So the Rebbe was concerned about that. So these are the 11 points that the Rebbe guided us about in that sicha. Okay, so at the same time, this is not going to be our lifestyle. You just don't retreat. You need to be an active member of society. So the Rebbe wants us if we need to meditate, to meditate a certain period of time, it's not your lifestyle. Do it and then get back into life. We don't retreat like a guru lahavdil onto a mountain. Okay? So who needs it? Well, guess what? Anybody here not have a digital device? Raise your hand if you don't have a digital device. You probably couldn't even get here without one. Between your Uber and texting your spouse or whatever, like, you couldn't even get here, getting your schedule, signing up. Do you get it? So these digital devices are doing the opposite of meditation. They're taking our attention out. The, the, the phone might beep, and you say, well, I'm, I'm so clever, I'm not attending to it. Well, I just attended to it by saying I'm not attending to it. And task switching is very difficult on the brain. It's not a healthy thing. So technology has kind of made it complex. So the rabbis have told me, everybody who's got a smartphone needs this stuff. And the Rebbe likened meditation to medication. You don't give too little, you don't give too much. You need a therapeutic dose. So in comes, and I think this is whom the Rebbe was speaking about at the time, he said that there's a neutral thing out there. Herbert Benson developed the relaxation response through meditation and breathing. So this is his famous book, and I had the honor to meet him at a course at Harvard a couple of years ago, BC, right, before COVID. <laughs> so his main elements are a quiet environment, a focal point, a passive attitude, and a comfortable position, and then eventually he broke it down just to the two. You need something to focus on, and just passively let those thoughts go. And so I developed my response to the Rebbe's request. And there are two basic techniques in my, and they're in your gift pack, and the clickers, okay? 
So the beginner's meditation on the breath, which is what I've given out there, and the breathing contest, which is a slow, relaxed breathing, where you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I came out with an app just recently. Okay, that's in your gift pack. Okay. So because we're so efficient, this guy says, Doc, I'm learning how to relax, but I want to relax even better and faster. <laughs> I want to be on the cutting edge of relaxation. So people have no time. I told you I did the micro self-care A to Z, right? So I did another one. Okay, you don't have time to meditate. Okay, I'm going to give you a meditation in the moment. You got one moment to do that. Sometimes the third part of it takes another moment, but it's stop, look, and listen. You stop whatever you were doing. Sometimes my clients put on alarms, alert themselves, stop whatever you're doing. Look inside, what's going on? Are you rushing? Are you hungry? Are you anxious? Are you down? Are you feeling good? Then listen, what is it telling you to do? If you're feeling good, savor it, stay with it, enjoy it. If you're feeling anxious, so do something the opposite. Calm yourself down, distract, etc. And then if you don't have time even for that, stop, look, and listen. Try to be mindful in your day-to-day -day activities. So you're eating. Don't shovel it in. They say put your fork down. That's a hard thing to do, especially when you're eating with your hands that quickly, right? <laughs> right? Dishwashing. I tell my clients, so do your breathing contest while you're washing dishes. So does anybody know why the guru refused Novocaine on his dental procedure, his painful extraction? Yeah, exactly, you know how to read. He wanted to transcend dental medication. Transcendental medication, okay. So again, some formats in meditation, some of these are in your gift pack, okay? So there's a body scan, a simple sitting meditation, you know, the focal point, etc. For me to get through all of these, I want to keep on cruising down the road, okay? All right, so Norman Vincent Peale, I'm sure most of you are familiar with him. He really developed the power of positivity for, for wellness through his books. And he says, paint the picture in your mind. Now, this is called guided imagery. So there is a lot of research about guided imagery. I only took three, but there's a lot of research that... You place your mind in a place, whether it's real or imagined, and your body responds. This is what we said before. Whether it's real or imagined, your body's going to respond. So I teach my clients a thing called imaginal rehearsals. So let's say they're stressed out about a, a speaking event. They've got to speak at 9.15 in the morning, and then there are opposite very famous people. So you do an imaginal rehearsal. You see yourself up on the podium, very calm, talking to your audience like that. Okay? So you project whatever the maybe the frightening thing is or the disturbing thing or how you're going to respond to someone in, in session. Okay? So self-guided imagery and imaginal rehearsals. So, hey, how appropriate. I didn't even know that we were in this place and it's all about golf and all of your... I'm sure there's a Jack Nicholas. Anybody in Jack Nicholas? Okay, so Jack Nicholas would do this. He would close his eyes and play a movie in his mind of getting a hole in one. He got like the most holes in one. He didn't imagine a rehearsal. Okay, now we're going to breathing. The precedent for breathing is in the first chapters of Genesis. God breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. So the breath of life needs to come in. 
So the rule of thumb, scientifically, they just figured it out in the end of the 20th century, breathing in through the nose is the key. You can breathe out through either device, but the nose was made for breathing, the mouth was made for eating and drinking. So, Reb Nachman of Bratzlaff said, man's vitality is in the, oh, people's vitality is in the breath. If the breath is lacking, life is lacking. And Maimonides, 800-something years ago, so he said even the slightest change in the quality of the air is why you'll find people who are sick. Hello? They figured that out at the end of the 20th century, air pollution and stuff like that. So we need to take care of ourselves. I have a baby breathing here. Now, is it going to automatically happen? I, I'm clicking on the arrow, I'm clicking on the arrow, I'm clicking, okay. So anyway, if you'll notice a baby breathing, they usually have their mouth closed. And they're breathing through their nose. And you see the diaphragm going up and down, the, the belly going up and down. That's real breathing. And so Andrew Weil, who's a famous physician, said, if I taught anything, one tip, it would be about breathing. And hello, lots of evidence. It goes on and on and on about healthy breathing. So here's my BBB. My basic breathing for beginners is close your mouth. Inhale through your nose, slow it down, and exhale longer. That I call basic breathing. To be in this 21st century, we need that technique. So you see people rushing around and their mouth is open. <laughs> This is called overbreathing hyperventilation syndrome. It's not really healthy for you. It's dehydrating. I can tell you lots of science, but we don't have time in the next few minutes. Anyway, this is the basic breathing for beginners, but then I developed something for bedtime. So remember the three-legged stool I mentioned? So the first three-legged stool is you do your bitachon before bedtime. You do your slow breathing after some people say shema, some people brush their teeth, you know, and all those things. After all of your evening activities, preparing for bed, you do a breathing contest. Breathe in through your nose, exhale through a small mouth hole, and start counting the cycles. The counting is dual functioning. You count to assess and to monitor how well you're doing. You also count to distract yourself. Because while you're counting, verbal language is the ultimate distraction. So while you're counting, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, your mind can't think about, oh my gosh, the carpool tomorrow, and I have to pick this up. Oh my gosh, when is that coming? Is it? You can't think about all those thoughts or the horrible thing that happened today. So that's my breathing contest. This is Dr. Andrew Wiles. It's called 478. Breathe in for a count of four. Hold for seven. Exhale for eight. Now, that's the same principle, except I don't tell my clients to hold. They can if they want, but some people can't hold their breath, and it frightens them and makes them more anxious. So I simplified it with just in and out. Okay, other body relaxation formats. We talked about guided imagery, nature sounds, etc. Now we're on to staying the course, persevering, keeping going on. Okay? So you're staying the course, you're using strength and conviction and commitment, and you've got purposefulness, etc. So our soul has a purpose. The Rebbe explained that that's why it came down here. It's been waiting to accomplish something. And Oprah, yay Oprah, there's no greater gift that you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born. 
and how you become most truly alive. I don't know if any, anybody knows about Oprah's past, but she was abused. She had a horrible, abusive life. Look at how famous and how kindly. I don't know if she's perfect, but she's altruistic and kindly and teaches and shares and seems to love humanity. And Jung, Carl Jung said, I'm not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. That, that creates effort. Choosing creates effort. It, create, it, it, it makes you work. So the word challenge and change have the same letters. The Rebbe said, you don't have problems, you have challenges. That's already a reframe. Turning the words in a different way. You can say the same thing in different ways. So positive traits, according to the Rambam, can only be achieved by repetition, 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 repetition. Oh, that's neuroscience, you know, in the 2000s where we found out, oh, you can change, right? In the early part of the 20th century, they said, you can't change. You can't change your brain. You can't enhance. The you can change. The Torah knew it. Rambam knew it. The, the Mishnah knew it. Mitzvah, Guerreras, Mitzvah. You do a good thing, and it brings another one, and you do an Avera, a transgression, and it brings another one in its chain. I, I just told a doctor the other day, I know that when I eat something that's not ideal in the morning, I'm going to gravitate to that type of food later. So now, look at here's the science. Being purposeful is directly corresponding to longevity. And in the research of uh, Dr. Blackburn, she talks about how the telomeres get frayed through all the stress. And Angela Duckworth, anybody hear about Angela Duckworth's grit? So this is, a, yeah, this is about persistence, right? You got to stick to it. Okay, so now we're on to the G for God. Gratitude, right? We've got to be care, caring, humble, appreciative, etc and a positive attitude and perspective. So this is from the Zohar, a couple thousands years ago. It's incumbent on a person to make, to praise God and to give him thanks in any miracle or kindness that he's done. Okay, now consider the many blessings that you have in your life. So Rebbe Mayer in the Talmud talked about how we're required to say a hundred blessings. And he got it from a pasuk, a verse, that says, Ma, what does Hashem want from you? Ma, he translated to the word mea, which means a hundred. So we should try to bless a hundred times. Now, if you're an observant male and you, you say all your prayers, you're almost there. So then if you eat that day, you're getting closer. And if you go to the bathroom that day, you're getting even closer. So you could get a hundred blessings in. And so you wonder, Asher Yatzar, the blessing after the bathroom? So I don't need to tell Dr. Kenneth Prager's story. I wasn't planning on telling my own, but five years ago I had a stroke. I call it my stroke of good fortune. And it kicked me into gear for appreciation and gratitude for what I had. And the morning after I had the treatment, and I was well in 10 minutes, thank God, the morning after in the hospital bed, I got up to wash and say my morning blessings. And when I got to this prayer, Asher Yatzar, I cried copiously. Because it's not just the bathroom bracha. 
It's for anything, the movement of your blood through your vessels, your heart pumping, any opening or closure that shouldn't been open. So what is a stroke? It's an occlusion. Something got stuck. Okay, so we're talking about the many blessings. So this one, Rabbi Mayer said, you know, you've got to have all these blessings. And then, of course, there's science about counting your blessings. Robert Emmons is like one of the foremost. Emmons and McCullough did foremost research on counting your blessings. It works. It's good for you. So the Talmud knew that. And so Benzoma said, how many things did Adam have to do to be able to eat a piece of bread? Right? And I just go to the store and I get it. So I call that technique, track it back. To be grateful, track it back. Look at your coffee. You had a coffee today? Think about it. How did it get there? How did it get there? So you could think. So the store, the distributor, the factory, the ingredients, the beans, da, 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 da. oh, but, but what about the milk and the, and the whatever, okay? So if you can track things back, you can have a greater appreciation. They did research, of course, on gratitude journaling. Oh my gosh, it kept people happier and healthier for months and months. So as we said before, the wandering mind is an unhealthy mind. Become the chooser of where your thoughts go. So Viktor Frankl said, our greatest freedom is the freedom to choose our attitude. My grandfather, of course, most men are as happy to that degree that they can make up their minds they're going to be. Okay, now let's see if this movie works. All right, I, you know what, I'm just, gonna verbally, I'm just gonna verbally discuss it. The Rebbe is speaking to a gentleman who comes to him and says, I have an eye operation coming up. And the Rebbe tells him to look with a good eye, right? Literally and figuratively, you've got a good eye, look with the good eye, but also figuratively, look with a positive eye. Okay, so my practice for this, we talk about techniques for each of these things, is my gratitudes practice. I do it nightly, I try to do it in the morning as well. Four gratitudes, first Hashem, what are you grateful for? Then a friend or a loved one, then a stranger, usually my stranger is the Amazon man, <laughs> or, or, or person, the Amazon person, and then gratitude toward myself. It's usually a man though, okay, Maya Angelou. This is a wonderful day. I've never seen this one before. Okay, and then <laughs> the research talks about gratitude on so many levels. Come on. Okay, nature, nature. Did you know it's good to be out in nature? Yeah, well, they put us in buildings with artificial light and few windows, etc. Go out in nature, it's healthy for you. Okay, now, other-centeredness. Other people, we gotta look out for the other. Love your neighbor, oh, well, that's pretty early in Jewish philosophy, that's right here in these parshas right now. Love your fellow as your Jew. And Rabbi Akiva says the main principle of the Torah. And Hillel said, though, and this goes back to our self-care, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? And then if not now, when? He's telling you to take care of your neighbor, okay? But if you don't know how to love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor? Okay, Shakespeare knows, Ecclesiastes knows, the Rebbe knows. I call this two lives, two lives, l'chaim, I can't sing it to you. But two lives, the word chaim is in the plural, otherwise it would be chai or chaya. 
Chaim is plural because worth, what life is not worth living without another. Okay, some fun stuff. Flip, flip, flip. Oh, oh. And there is science, of course, about loving kindness. And Barbara Fredrickson, who's all about positivity, uh, talks about the loving kindness meditation and how it really affected people's wellness. And now, last, certainly, but not least, our divine essence. Okay, we've got God inside of us. The Tanya talks about the neshama that we have in us. It's part of Hashem. So we are very worthwhile. As we said at the very beginning, we're dignified. We should be kings and queens. So the Rebbe, as quoted by Simon Jacob, said, birth is saying, is God saying you matter. We're precious. Dr. David Lieberman, he's really wonderful, his books, if you ever get a hold of any of them. He made us in his image. Of course we're precious. Okay, we have to have faith in ourselves. Reb Nachman of Bretzlev tells us. And God is in the brain. And we're going to learn about him, God in your brain, with Dr. Newberg today and tomorrow. And this is, these are his books. I've read most of them. I study with his partner in most of these books, Mark Waldman. And they say religious involvement adds to your longevity, spiritual life. That's community, it's, it's all sorts of wonderful things, and the God that's in your brain. Okay, this is Dr. Andrew Newberg. We've got also Lisa Miller speaking for us. She talks about the awakened brain and the science of her awakened brain. So they say, Newberg and Waldman, these are the eight great things you can do for your brain. The best one is have faith, have God. And there you have it. There is your gift pack. So it's tinyurl.com, T-W-I, the Wellness Institute, R.D. Wallen, my initials. And there you have it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.